All right, everybody, welcome to Bethel Presbyterian Church. And as Jerry said, on the greatest day of the year. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that today is the greatest day of the year? Well, good. Amen. Who said that? Yes. <laughs> awesome. When I think of good days, great days, and of course, yes, today is the greatest day of the year, but I think in, in the past of, of, of things that have happened, getting married was obviously a very, very great day, and then uh, welcoming the children, my children, all three kids. Those were fantastic days. There they are. How many of you have ever held babies? Just held a baby in your hands. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Have you ever held, held a baby in your hands, right? You don't have to be a parent. It could be anybody. You know, you've, you've held a child in your hands. And, and, and do you remember what it felt like to hold that child? To look at that child in the face and, and see it and, and hope it doesn't do its business on you. And, and as you're holding it, that you may have the fear of, dear God, don't let me drop this child. But you're holding this baby, this innocent life, and the joy that it brings all, all this baby wants is just to be fed and to be warm. It doesn't want sleep because babies don't sleep ever. But as you're holding this child, there it is, just this, this miracle in your hands. There's a, 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 a church member that has now gone on to, to Jesus. His name is Dr. Walter Hall. He attended our church, and, and Dr. Hall was an OBGYN, and he, and he passed away early this year. And, and I had the fantastic privilege of being uh, a part of the deacons when he was a deacon and got to go to visits when we would do hospital visits or bedside visits. And, and if you ever want a master class in how to care for folks in that way, Walter Hall was that person. I mean, he just, he just, he was so wonderful. He just knew how to be and sit there with them. But that's not part of the story. When I was traveling with him, I got to hear his, his, all, all the things that he did and went to Africa and, and, and did things there as a doctor. And he's delivered hundreds, thousands possibly, of, of babies in his lifetime. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he goes, I don't know how anybody, once they understand and have witnessed a child coming into this world, like I said, you don't have to be a parent, just, you just know how, how children come to life, how, that anyone could not believe that there is a God, that God's creator hand is at work. Because science can take us only so far, and science has done fantastic. I mean, they've got great things now, and, and we can see pictures of our babies very early on and detect things very early on, and they have some interventions to kind of help with that. It's all great. But at the end of the day, God has to do the final kind of, the, the, of work, the beginning work and the final kind of work. Because I don't understand how you couldn't know that about the Lord. So as I held each of my three children, I, I just remember the miracle of, of who they are, the living miracles that they came into this world and the joy that they bring. Even when my son is up here trying to push over this cello and unplug different things, the joy he brings, the joy. <laughs> Holding children. And I just remember those, the, each of those days looking at my child and thinking, this is awesome. And then also, good Lord, what do we do? And how are we going to continue to raise this child in the world that we live in? As Jerry prayed, our world is nuts. It's crazy. Chaos reigns. What, just this week, there was a shooting in Brooklyn in a subway? 
There was a shooting at South Carolina Mall, I think, last night. The pandemic, another variant, two variants are, are coming our way. I mean, I, it's just so, you just get so fatigued with all of that. And so I remember with each of our children, Clara was born in, and I messed this up at the first service, so I'm going to get it right here. Clara's was born in 2017. That was right after the 2016 election. And if you remember that time, everyone was on polar opposite sides. I mean, just, you know, everyone was just mean to each other, both sides, just rah, rah. And, and we thought, as we're bringing Claire into this world, like, what kind of world are we bringing her into? And then Caleb was 2019, and that stuff was still kind of going on. We began to hear whispers of this COVID thing. And then in 2020, Carrie and I, because why not, we were thinking, okay, do we want to try for a third child? And we started having that conversation in and around March, April of 2020, when the pandemic was full swing, and no one really knew heads or tails of it. And so we had this question, this, this, this conversation, is it worth bringing a child into this kind of environment? Is life worth it to bring a new child into this? Now, God had other plans because Karis came whether we liked it or not, so we did eventually have that third child and, and jumped all head first into three children under the age of five, but that's another story for another day. There is a song called Because He Lives. Does anyone know that song? Raise your hand if you know that song. We're going to sing it later. Because He Lives. And it was written by a, a married couple, Bill and Gloria Gaither. And that's such a Southern Baptist name. Look at that. Right there they are. And, and they, they have been like icons or legends in, in gospel music. They have written so much. And their genre is Southern Gospel. So that's four-part harmonies, good old country-style music. I love it. I'm here for it all day. And so they have this song called Because He Lives. And the, and the line is, uh, the chorus is, Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. Life is worth the living because He lives. It was written in 1970, 51, 52 years ago. It just celebrated its 50th birthday. And so I did some research for my message today and, and where we're going to go. We're in the middle of this Lenten series that comes to an end today with, with Easter Sunday. And we're looking at the promises that Jesus made in the upper room. In the upper room, just before the cross, he gathered his disciples together. He gave them a master level course in instruction of all the things that he taught them. He's like, no, seriously, I'm about to peace out. You guys need to know all of this stuff. Okay, everyone good. And so he gives them these promises and we've, we've discussed them all through Lent. And today we'll get this a final promise and it's based off of this song. So Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote this in 1970 when she was pregnant with their third child. And they went through the same thing, which is just so odd to hear their story as to why they wrote it. Bill is like, we live in a world of, of civil unrest the uh, civil rights movement is in full swing. The Vietnam conflict or Vietnam War, whichever, however you want to dis decide to classify that, was going on. We have this rise of, of the hippie movement, this thought process of, of what they were all about. And they were looking at all this and they thought the same thing. How can we bring a child into this world? Is it worth it? 
And so in that same time, Bill was diagnosed with mono and actually started going through a little bit of depression. They had a good friend come and ask them for money for a ministry opportunity, and they decided not to invest in it. And that good friend raked them over the coals publicly, said that, you know, if you weren't making a living doing this bill, you wouldn't even believe in Jesus. I mean, just awful stuff. And the story goes that Gloria was laying on the couch and she was looking at a painting that her mom had painted, and it was, farm, it was a farmer's hands, and it was dirty, and they were weathered and cracked and dirt underneath the nails, and he was holding a pile of, of soil, and in the soil, uh, a seedling was growing. And what happened with Gloria, as she's looking at this picture, and she's looked at it for day, you know, for weeks, months, however long she's had this picture, but something happened on that couch, and she gets a perspective change. Her view changes, and she realizes as she sees the seedling growing that life wins. No matter what's going on in the seedling's life and the weathered hands and the storms and, and whatever, the seedling is growing, and she just, that's, I don't know why, this is just how the Lord worked in her mind, and she just came to this realization that life wins, that life is worth the living because our Savior lives. Jesus, who died and took on the cross in the midst of a crazy, darkened world, rose again three days later, and it proves to us all that life is worth the living because he lived again. His living again changes the rules. His living again gives us a whole new perspective. His living again gives us a promise that we look at today. If you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, there are Bibles in the back of the pew. I invite you to take them out. You got a phone, open up to that Bible app. Do not check Yahoo News. It's just depressing. We're going to look at John 14, 18 through 20. Let's see this perspective change. Let's see this promise come into view for these 12 disciples who don't know what's going on. They can't make heads or tails of, of what Jesus is saying. You're going to leave. I don't get this. Listen to what he says. Verse 18 to 20. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you, you will see me. Here's the promise. Because I live, you also will live. And the way that that's translated is because I live, you also will come alive. When I come to you again, and you see me again, and you see me fully living, you are going to come alive in that day. Everything's going to snap together, and you will know the entire truth of everything that I've been teaching to you, and the ultimate truth that you too shall live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Because he lives. That is the pinky swear today. Because I live, you will also live. It is the promise he made good on this Easter morning. It brings all the promises of the entire Bible, Old and New Testament together into this glorious picture of redemption. That we have a God who loves us beyond measure. Who sent to us his son to live and die and live again. And because we have a place with him, we have an eternal 
destination forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Christ is risen. I'm going to do that a lot today, so you're going to need to be on the stick on that one, okay? Christ is risen. So we look at these promises all through Lent. And we did it because, at least for me, I wanted to communicate to everyone how can we have an assurance, an assurance of hope in Jesus Christ and what he did, what he did on the cross, that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior, the King. How can we have this assurance of hope? Because the days that we are living in are kind of dark. So how can we do that? How can we stand firm on these promises? How do we know? Today we know it's because he lives. And so I'm going to go through that song, Because He Lives. I gave you the chorus, I can face tomorrow, all fear is gone, and that he holds the future. And finally, that life is worth the living just because he lives. I think as Gloria and Bill Gaither put this line down, based off of John 14, we get the assurance of hope, how we can have hope in the fact that he is no longer on that cross and he is no longer in that tomb, but that he lives. So let's dive in. Let me see your happy Easter faces. Are you all ready for this? Ready for your mind to be blown or at least just to be renewed, okay? So how do we have assurance of hope? The first line of that chorus is, I can face tomorrow, all fear is gone. Now I wanted to be careful with this because when you sing that, all fear is gone, it feels very freeing to say that. All fear is gone. And then when you leave this building and you go out into this dark world, how many of you have been scared? Raise your hand. How many of you have been fearful? Raise your hand. Right. So we know for sure that all fear is not necessarily gone. Bad things happen and things knock us off our stools and we got to figure that out. But Jesus, in talking to his disciples and here in John 14, He gives them a perspective change. And we find the answer to how we can have no no fear anymore. Look at what he says in John 14 in the beginning, verses 1 through 4. He says this. Now this, everybody, is after communion. He's already done that. It's after the washing of the feet. And it's after Judas is like, I'm out. Goodbye. All that's done. And it's after Peter is like, listen, Jesus, I'm going to be your all-star disciple. I will never leave you. And Jesus is like, Peter, sit down. <laughs> Just sit. Three times tonight, bud. Here it goes. But, but then, he, then this, this is so, this is like, it's like one of the most powerful things in Scripture. He looks at the disciples and then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Eugene Peterson in the message says, don't be rattled by what's about to happen. Don't be rattled. Believe in God, believe in also in me. I love as he starts this next teaching that it starts with basically fear not, which is a habit of the entire scriptures. Whenever an angel comes and says fear not, we get some good things that come after that, right? And here he says, don't be troubled by this. Don't be rattled by this. And then gives this statement, believe in my father, believe also in me. If we want to know how we can face tomorrow and not have any fears, it begins with belief. 
when we are the most scared at what's coming at us, it is most likely we have taken a step away out of the light of truth. And we're trying to figure this stuff out on our own. Jesus says, no, 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 start here. Believe in God, believe in also in me. Start there at this faith. Because believing in the Father in this way helps us make sense of the fears that are around us. We begin to understand that these things that are coming at us, they don't really have the last say. It may knock us off, but, but I've got a tomorrow that is assured. How do I know this? He goes on. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you now know the way to where I'm going. But start with belief. Get yourself understanding of who the Father is and get, get, be, let that be enough. And then he says this. He says, guess what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go to my Father's house. I'm going to prepare rooms for you. And then I'm going to come back and I get to take you with me. So not only do we have this Father in heaven that we believe in, but we have a Father in heaven who is anticipating, expecting our arrival and has made a place for each and every one of you. You have a place there, he says. And it reminded me of when my, when my wife and I traveled to Florida. We go to Florida for Christmas and, and, and sometimes in the summer, and it's a long, long trip. And if you ever want to test your faith, get into a car with three children under five and just watch how that works, okay? That's just how, the, this is how life is. And whenever we go to Florida, my parents... Carrie's parents, they, they do us this great honor of preparing a place for us. There's a room. There's chargers for our cell phone. <laughs> Thanks be to God, right? <laughs> there are rooms for our children to sleep in so they're not sleeping in our room. Praise be to the Father God Almighty. Amen. Amen. Yes, there you go. Thank you. Look at that. Jamie gets points. <laughs> There's food in the fridge. Our favorites. They're, they, they are expecting our arrival and they're communicating to us, you have a place here. This is your home. When I got married to Carrie, when I would come home late from work before we'd have kids or anything, I'd come home late. I was a youth minister, so that meant lock-ins and all sorts of stuff. And I'd come home late, she'd have the light on on the porch. I was single all up to 32, 33. No one ever left the light porch on for me until I was living with my parents, but it was just so nice. There's someone waiting here for you. There's a place for you. This is what the Lord does. And unlike us with our parents, when we go to Florida and visit them, and after three days, you know, like fish, we begin to stink, right? This place that God has prepared is 100% permanent. Jesus says, I'm going to go there, I'm going to prepare this for you, and you get to have a place there with me. And not only that, remember, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, all fear is gone. I know that tomorrow is there because Jesus says there's a place there for us. And he also says in this passage here in verse 18, which we have already read, he says, guess what? I'm also not going to leave you as 
orphans. You have been claimed by me. You have been claimed by my father. You are owned and with us a part of this family. And it's just so amazing to think of that because it puts, again, a lot of things into perspective. I have parents, and they're fantastic. I love them. But one day, hopefully a long time from now, they will pass away. But I'm not orphaned. You are not orphaned. So when Jesus says, you're not orphaned, I just see a great promise in there about facing tomorrow and not having the fear because our earthly relationships here are temporary and they will pass away. It, 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 it totally speaks to when Jesus tells his disciples, listen, anyone who gives up, you know, who can walk away from their mom and their dad, who, who can do all that, they can follow me. And it's just a, when you read that, you're thinking, wait, that doesn't make sense. But what he is saying is, put it in perspective. You have this gift of relationships here, and they're wonderful, but they are temporary. You have an eternal home in which you are going to, and you have an eternal home that I have prepared for you, and you have an eternal home in which I have laid claim on your life. You are not orphaned. You are not alone. I have you. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow, and all of my fears are gone. No matter death, disease, or danger, or despair, it doesn't impede or wreck my place and my family position with Jesus. We are together. We are locked in, as we'll see in just a second. He has conquered the ultimate defeat, which is death. And therefore, he says to them, I'm going to go to my father, who is also your father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're going to have cell phone chargers and all sorts of stuff. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to come and get you. Therefore, because he lives, I can face tomorrow and all fear is gone because I know I have a Savior who loves me and is coming after me. And so do you. Because he lives. And so if all fear is gone and we can, can face tomorrow, and again, I don't discredit fears. I don't want to just play, I don't want to be cheap with that. You know, scary things happen and we need to say that they're scary. Fearful things happen, we need to say that they're fearful. I have three children and I would love to control everything that is happening to them. I don't want them to be no more than two feet away from me in a public place. I'm always looking around to see if anyone's going to come, in which case I'd have to run after that person and I don't run. But I try to control. So I know fear. I know fear is there. But that perspective change, starting with belief in God and sitting in on the promise that he is coming for us, that we can live with him in a place forever, it brings me to the second point. Because of all of that, we then know that life, yes, is worth the living we get an answer to that question that Gloria asked that I and Carrie pondered. Is life even worth it? Life is absolutely worth the living because we have a Savior who lives. And so no matter what happens, and a lot of stuff can happen, we can face that and we can live into that because he lives. Let's get, 
Let's get even more biblical with it. And so here again, back in John chapter 14, he's talking with his disciples. He's laying it down. He's saying, I'm going to go. And, and you now know the way in which I'm going. You can be with the Father. The disciples are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And he's looking at them like, listen, you've seen me. You have seen the Father. And if you've seen me and you've seen the Father, you get to come with me. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit's going to continually convict you of the truth of the gospel. And here's the thing. If you love me and keep my commandments, then I will be in you, you will be in me, and we will be in the Father. Life is worth the living because we are locked into him. It is a relationship that cannot be broken no matter what man or sin or the earth tries to do. It cannot take it away. Life is worth the living because we have witnessed the resurrected life. We know that the tomb stands empty. And if the tomb stands empty, all the rules have changed. There have been people all throughout humanity who have tried to teach humanity the purpose of life, the way you can have joy, and the way you can have fulfillment. And all of those earthly people are dead and in their graves with a tomb sealed. The only one whose tomb stands empty is the one who gives us the everlasting life, who says, you are with me, with the Father. I've got a place for you. You're not orphaned. And because I live you also will come alive and live. And so life is worth the living then to stand in that truth, to share that truth with other people, to see the grand tapestry of these promises all coming true. The promises of this new covenant where your sins are completely forgiven. I've got you covered. The promise of loving one another. And if you do that, people will know who I am to love in the way that I have loved you. The promise of the helper and the Holy Spirit who comes and gives you power to help you abide with the Father and bear much fruit, who brings joy in the midst of grief and 100% allows you to witness the resurrection life to people. And as you live the life worth living life, people will know who I am and realize the truth that I live and I love you. Do you see how this all strings together? Today is the very greatest day of the year because the rules completely changed. Death loses. Our life here will end for sure, but the life to come has been prepared and is awaiting our arrival. And therefore, we can face tomorrow. We can handle the fears. And we can live this life worth living. Monday, Thursday, we gave everyone lights. Had you hold them up. <clears throat> and we blew them out. Kind of odd. But we blew them out to remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross not by the power of Pontius Pilate who sentenced him, not by the power of the chief priests, not by the power of the Roman centurions. Jesus died on the cross. You know why? Because he is life and he can lay it down when he wants to. And he did that because he wanted to. And so he lays his life down. He turns his light off. But because he is also the resurrection, his life is brought back. His light is blazing again. And because he lives, we too can live as well. And so what I would say to you all today, go and shine this light 
knowing this promise, that an empty grave is there to prove that my Savior lives. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And let's do it a third time. Christ is risen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your light. I thank you for your life. I thank you for things that don't make sense to us. If we were to sit here and try to really figure it out, your plan of redemption, we would come up so short. Who can understand the depth of love that you have for us who constantly sin against you? who forget the promises, who forget that the tomb is empty, who forget the perspective you've given us. Oh, Lord, give us the eyes to constantly see the world as you see it, to experience the the, the things that cause fear in such a way that we could stand firm on the promises that you have given knowing full well that all of those promises are yes and amen because you live. Let us not ever make the mistake of forgetting that and not believing in that, or so to be lost in our fears and in our darkness. Remind us of your light and that you live. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.